we're in the middle of a series called uh, Extravagant Trust, and it's focused on uh, one of our five core values as a church, and I've gone over this every week. We have five core values, pray, give, invite, mentor, serve. Pray, give, invite, mentor, serve. I always like you to say it with me. Pray, give, invite, mentor, and serve. And we spent the first part of the year talking about four of those, and now we're spending four weeks talking about the core value of give or generosity because we want Fairfax to be a congregation that is known for its generosity. We want to develop a culture of generosity as a church. We want those that are in the church to be generous folks. We want people to be generous with their time, their, their resources, their passions, their gifts, their talents, uh, their emotions, all of that, to be just generous in every way because it's a huge part of our spiritual growth. I, I mentioned last week that kingdom generosity and spiritual growth are inextricably connected, like they are inseparable, like you can't have one without the other. If you aren't living generous lives, you aren't really growing spiritually because spiritual growth requires trusting in God. And in a culture that defines importance and value and worth by the stuff that you own and the stuff that you do, it takes a ton of trust to live a truly generous life. The first week we talked about these two different mindsets when it comes to money. We talked about a scarcity mindset, about how if we have a scarcity mindset concerning money, we will do everything we can to hang on to what we have and will be driven by fear and anxiety and worry about never having enough. And we talked about an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset is this idea that God is a God of unlimited resources, that God is the God who owns everything, that everything in the world, everything in the universe is the Lord's. And if we believe that that God, that God of unlimited resources, that God who owns everything is a generous God and is willing to share what he, what he has with us. And it will, it will lead us to realize that all the resources that we need are there to accomplish anything that God calls us to do. And then last week we talked about this illusion of certainty, how all of us want certainty in our lives and we try to organize our lives around certainty and money is one of the ways that we try to guarantee certainty in our lives. We feel like if we have enough money that we can be more certain about the future. But we talked about how in a broken, sinful world, like certainty is an illusion. And for those who follow Jesus, that's okay because it's in seasons of uncertainty that God does his most spectacular Work. It's in seasons of uncertainty that we learn to trust that God will take care of the gap that exists between God's provision that we can see right now and what it is that God wants us to do. Because God's provision that we can see right now is not, it's never all of God's provision. But we have to trust that the provision that we can see of God right now that God is a God of the gaps and that he will take care of the gap between the provision we can see right now and whatever it is that he has called us to do. Today, I wanna talk about the habit of generosity. And sometimes when we think about generosity, we don't think about it in terms of 
habits, but oftentimes we think about generosity, our mind goes to spontaneous acts of generosity. Like we see an opportunity to help and we respond to the opportunity that we see. And that's certainly one of the very important aspects of generosity. But the Bible also talks about the habit of generosity. It's generosity that becomes a a spiritual discipline in our lives, like other spiritual disciplines, that spiritual disciplines of prayer and spiritual disciplines of worship and spiritual disciplines related to the study of God's word, that it becomes a spiritual discipline in our life. It's something that gets woven into the the pattern of our life. It's something that gets woven into the fabric of our life. It's, it's intentional. It's uh, systematic. And there's lots of examples of this in the biblical narrative. In Leviticus, uh, the people of God are instructed by God to take care of the poor and to take care of those from other countries, immigrant, immigrants, refugees who are living among the people. And here's what God tells them to do. He says, when you reap the harvest, remember it's an agrarian society. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap from the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen to the ground. Leave them, leave all of that. Leave that for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord, your God. So what God, what does God do? God is giving them a systematic way to provide for the poor. It's a habit that they can integrate into their lives. Every time they harvest a field, they are to intentionally leave a percentage of the field not harvested. And we see that same kind of intentionality in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. When Paul decides that there needs to be an offering that's taken for um, the church in Jerusalem that has fallen on hard times uh, financially and most of the people are living in poverty, this is what he instructs those who are participating in the offering to do. He says, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian church to do. He's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, do the same thing I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Paul's telling them that he wants them to to plan for this act of generosity. He wants them to establish a, a new habit of setting aside money on the first day of every week, which is Sunday. He he wants them to build it into their budget. Uh, Donna and I have, uh, my wife and I have maintained a budget for all but one year of our marriage. The first year of our marriage, we didn't have a budget and weren't quite sure what we were doing and, uh, and it did not go well. Can I just say that? It did not go well. And my brother Gil, who was an amazing uh, individual, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but just incredible theologian, author in the church. Uh, pastor, husband, um, uh, father, just incredible brother to me, uh, was also really, really good at finances. And I remember sitting down with my brother Gil and just saying, Gil, can you, like, I need help. I, I have no idea really how to set up. I know the concept of budget, but I mean just actually setting up 
personal budget for our family to make it work, to track it, to do all those things that really allow me to kind of stay on it. And he walked me through the whole process. And we've, we've been on a yearly budget, Don and I, for 40 plus years in our marriage. So we can, over the last 40 years, tell you every penny basically that we've spent on whatever it is that we've done. So we've just kind of maintained a budget for those 40 years. And one of the things that we do with our budget is that we build generosity into our budget. We start with our tithe to the church and we put that, we put that in the budget. That's part of the plan. We put um, uh, in money that we want to give over and above a tithe, offerings that we wanna to give to the church or they wanna to give to other organizations that we sponsor and support. And so we, we put that in the budget. And then we even budget for kingdom needs that God may call us to respond to during the year that we have no way of knowing what those kingdom needs are at the time that we set our budget. And, and we call it kingdom opportunities. That's the line item in the budget. Kingdom opportunities it means that, God, we, we have no idea what it is that you're going to, to call us to, to help with, to be a part of, to share the resources that you've given to us, but, but we want to set something aside to be able to respond to that. We want to be able to do that and, and, and still remain financially healthy. And um, a tithe is a huge part of that process. I mentioned tithing. Tithing is the act of giving back to the Lord 10% of what he has entrusted to our care. The whole idea of the biblical narrative is that everything belongs to the Lord. Everything we have is from the Lord. We do not give to the Lord. He's the one that gives to us. He is a generous God. Everything, uh, every, he owns everything. He owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills. All of that, like everything is his. And part of this idea of the tithe is that we give back for the work of the kingdom 10% of what he has entrusted to our care. It's kind of the baseline for biblical generosity. And we see it reinforced throughout scripture. In Genesis 28, uh, generations before the law ever was given to Moses, we see Jacob as he is starting to adult, like he's, he's getting into adulting, he's getting ready to leave the home for the first time, go out and be on his own financially, all of that kind of stuff. And he vows in Genesis 28, he vows to tithe back to the Lord the resources that God is about to entrust to his care. And when God gives the law to Moses, we see tithing become a part of God's covenant relationship with his people. And in the book of Malachi, God says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, that blessing, that blessing that Malachi talks about, that blessing can take lots of forms. Maybe the blessing that God will pour out because we are obedient to the tithe is indeed more resources. The Bible says that those who are faithful in little things, that God will entrust greater things to them. And we see that principle lived out in every area of our life. 
That when we're faithful with small tasks, that God entrusts larger tasks. When we're faithful in small ministries, that God entrusts larger ministries to us. When we're faithful with the gifts that God has given us, that God continues to entrust more responsibilities and ways in which to use those gifts. And the same is true with our resources. That when we are faithful with whatever amount that God has given us and we are faithful with that, God will entrust to our care additional resources. So sometimes the blessing is indeed more resources. But sometimes the blessing is not more money. The blessing is less worry about money because you know that God will indeed provide. Or sometimes the blessing is being content with less because you are no longer trying to find your identity in what you have or what you do. Or maybe the blessing is just the overwhelming joy that we feel from living truly generous lives and seeing the impact that that has for the kingdom in the world. Whatever it is, God says, I can't put my blessings into a clenched fist. It's when we open our hands and establish habits of generosity in our lives that allows God to pour out, to pour out, to pour out his blessings. Now, what about the New Testament? Sometimes people go, well, that's all that tithing stuff. That's all Old Testament stuff. Does the New Testament talk about the tithe? Yes, the New Testament talks about the tithe, but it talks about so much more than the tithe. Jesus doesn't do away with the tithe. He just does what he does with every other area of life. He just raises the standard. You remember Jesus says, you know, the Old Testament says, the law said, do not commit adultery. I say, if you look on someone in a lustful way, that's like committing adultery. The, the Old Testament said, the law said, do not commit murder. But I say, even if you hate your brother, it's like you are liable unto murders. Like God, Jesus is always raising the standard. And he does the same thing when it comes to money and the tithe. Look at what he says to the religious leaders of his day. He says, woe to you. You never want to be on the front end of a woe from Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, the tithe. Jesus acknowledges that the Jewish leaders are legalistically committed to the tithe. They tithe everything. <laughs> they even tithe their spices. Like they are legalistic about the tithe. They tithe everything, but that's where their generosity ends. And Jesus says, I don't want you to Stop tithing. I just want you to understand that the generous life I called you to does not end at the 10%. I want the tithe to move you toward a life of generosity where you care about all the things that God cares about. Jesus is saying, I want you to grow in the grace of giving. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 when he says, but just as you excel in everything, just as you excel in faith, 
just as you excel in speech, just as you excel in knowledge, just as you excel in complete earnestness in your love for us, just as you excel in all of these things, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, that you get better and better and better at giving. I love the fact that of all the stories of generosity that Jesus could have told, and he talks a lot about how we handle our resources, but in terms of the stories that he tells that give expression to that, the one that he chose to highlight actually was the story of a poor widow who had no real source of income and was marginalized by the rest of culture. It's told in Luke 21. It says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. There was like a offering box where people could put their gifts in as they entered the temple or as they were exiting the temple. And uh, he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Even with her limited resources, this woman was able to grow in the grace of giving. In fact, she grew in the grace of giving to a greater degree than anyone else who was in the temple that day. Now, let me just kind of wrap this all up by just reminding you of three very important things that this habit of generosity, the habit of generosity, three important things that it does. One, the habit of generosity moves generosity to the, to the front of the line. My experience has been that most people who love God, who want to be in the yes position to God, who want to, to serve God, who want to live in obedience to God, want to be increasingly generous people. But after we've paid the mortgage and the car loans and the credit cards and taken care of the utilities and bought some clothes and eaten out a few times and made your tuition payments and all the other stuff that you have to do in a really expensive place to live like Northern Virginia, there's not much left. And what the habit of, yeah, that's the biggest amen I got actually so far. <laughs> And what the habit of generosity does is it makes sure that God doesn't end with the financial leftovers in our life. Some of you have heard the story about a farmer who came to his wife and he said, this is unbelievable. I thought, I thought my cow was going to have one calf and she had two calves. And when they grow up, I'm going to sell one of them and give all of the money to the Lord. Very generous, 50% of, of what he was going to get. A couple of months later, the farmer comes home and he says, I can't believe it, honey. The Lord's calf died. The other calf is fine, but the Lord's calf died. A lot of the time when it comes to living out the generous life that God has created us to live, it's always the Lord's calf that has died. And the habit of generosity helps us to not fall into that trap. It reminds us that, that it's not just the one calf, but all the calves, everything is 
the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. And this habit of generosity helps us to not fall into that trap, particularly when things get hard. Second thing is this, the habit of generosity increases your trust in God. Look at what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy about trusting God with, with money. He says this, command those who are rich in this present world, and that's all of us from the world's perspective, all of us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, why would Paul tell a group of fairly affluent people to not put their hope in wealth? Well, it's because over time, the more we accumulate, the more we have, the greater the temptation to lean into our wealth, to lean into our wealth for our identity, to lean into it for our sense of purpose, to lean into it for our sense of peace, to lean into it for our sense of security. And Paul says, don't do that. He's saying, why put your hope in the gift when you can put your hope in the giver? Why put your hope in the blessings when you can put your hope in the one who blesses? Why put your hope in riches when you can put your hope in the God who richly provides? The habit of generosity keeps us from trusting our wealth and instead keeps us focused on trusting God. And it becomes, just to be honest, it becomes harder and harder and harder to trust God. I think one of the reasons that he writes this to people who have money is that sometimes it's way harder to do that when we have resources than before we got resources. Like for some of you, like you were raised in a home like mine where I was taught tithing from the beginning and it was like super easy when I had a dime to give a penny. But like when you have a million to give a hundred thousand becomes way, way harder. And so sometimes the more that we have, the harder it is to be faithful. Third thing is this, the habit of generosity increases your joy. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul talking about the churches in Macedonia and how they responded to the need of the church in Jerusalem. Paul's talking specifically about this Macedonian church, but it's true for all of us. Generosity brings joy. There's a joy in seeing the impact that our generosity has. There's a joy in seeing how God provides, especially in times of uncertainty. When we look back, and all of us can look back and see these times over and over and over again where God has provided over and over again, and it brings us joy. It strengthens our faith. It causes us to trust God even more. Now, I know that for some of you, when we talk about the habit of generosity, that it's a pretty overwhelming thought. And the idea of tithing, like, scares you to death. 
like just even trying to get your mind around what does it mean to live on 90%? I can't even live on 100%. I'm living on 110% right now. Thank you, credit cards. Like it's so hard to like get our mind around the idea of tithing. I get that and that for some of you, the idea scares you to death. Some of you are familiar with it and you just kind of don't think about it. Some of you like it's a new concept. You didn't even know that was in scripture to know anything. You thought whenever we said tithe, we meant just give. You didn't know it meant 10%, all of that stuff. But for others of you, tithing is already like a regular part of your life. Like some of you are like me. You, you grew up in a home where that was just what was taught. And so, like I said, it's so easier. It's so much easy, easier as a kid when you don't have anything to be faithful to the tithe. Like I said, it was so much easier when I had just a dime or a dollar to be faithful to that than when you start to get more resources. And some of you grew up in an environment like mine where like you, like we've never done it. I've never not lived on the 90%. I, I, in my life, I've never not lived on, you know, uh, anything more than the 90% and sometimes less than the 90%. So some of you are like, you think about the tithing. Yeah, that's what I've always done. Or that's what we started doing. Or we started doing that a few years ago. And we've seen God's faithfulness in that. And indeed he has blessed and he has provided in so many ways. And we've witnessed it over and over again. So, but here's the deal, wherever you are on the spectrum, wherever you are on the spectrum, whether the idea of like tithing is something you couldn't fathom, the idea of the habit of generosity is something that's overwhelming or whether you're already kind of giving 10% to the work of the kingdom, you're working with this understanding that everything belongs to the Lord. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do over the next 12 months. I wanna challenge you wherever you are on the spectrum to grow in the grace of giving, to do what Jesus talked about, to do what Paul talked about to grow in the grace of giving. And, and I would just challenge you just to take, just to take a step. Sometimes leaps are hard. And because the leap is so far, we don't even take a step in the right direction. And I want to challenge you just to take a step in the right direction. And, and, I, and I'm just thinking about the impact that it would have for every person who's a part of this congregation, just in their own lives, wherever they are on the spectrum, to just say, over the next 12 months, I'm going to give away for the work of advancing the kingdom in whatever shape or form that takes, I'm gonna give away 1% more. So if like right now it's like, yeah, it's hard to survive and to be quite honest, if I were just to be candid about like where we are, we, we're not really giving anything 
to advance the work of the kingdom, to just go from zero to one. Or maybe you look at your finances and you say, okay, well, we, we probably, we give away about 5% to go from 5% to 6%. Or maybe you're like Don and I, and it's just like, we've been tithing our whole life. But no matter where we are, God is always saying, I want you to grow in the grace of giving. I want you to grow in the grace of giving. I want you to figure out ways to become increasingly and increasingly generous. So maybe that means going from 10% to 11%, from 11% to 12%, whatever it means for you. To just take the next 12 months and just to, to take a step in an obedient direction to grow in the grace of giving and to trust for God to provide. And as you take that step of faith, I wanna just remind you of one of God's promises. It's found in 2 Corinthians 9. And it says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What an incredible promise. A promise that as we grow in the grace of giving, that God will increase our store of seed. That God will provide what we need to live increasingly generous lives. And the result of that generosity is not that we will be glorified. Paul says the result of that generosity is that God will be glorified. That thanksgiving will be given to God because everything is his all along. I think it's really appropriate today that we're ending this service with the time of communion, celebrating the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is the reminder of the most generous act that humanity has ever experienced. The God of the universe the one who was fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ, giving his, his very life so that we could find life. And you know, I was thinking about it in light of what we were talking about today and just was reminded again that what Jesus did for us on the cross was not an act of spontaneity. Scripture says that Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That before Genesis ever took place, that God already had in mind the plan to give himself 
fully for us. It was an intentional act of generosity. And every time we partake of communion, we are reminded of this intentional, generous God who lays down everything for us. We are not the ones who give to God. God is the one who gives to us. And every act of generosity that is manifested in our lives is simply a response to the generosity that God has already shown 